LWDG Pod Dog, the podcast that helps women train their gun dogs and become part of a supportive community. I'm Joanne Perrett, founder of the Ladies Working Dog Group, and I'm thrilled to be your host. Our online membership offers expert training, monthly courses, and live coaching sessions that empower women to become confident and skilled gun dog handlers. Join us as we share insights, advice, and stories to help you and your four-legged friend achieve your goals. So grab your headphones, sit back, and let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of LWDG Pod Dog. This week I am joined by LWDG Group expert M Stevens, and we are going to be talking all about between grouse and pheasant, what happens from August to October. So, hi Emma, can you share a little bit about your role as an expert in the LWDG, how you joined us, what your background is? Yeah, hi Joe. Um, I hope you're okay. Uh, so I joined as one of the first, um, well, the first group expert um, and one of the first trainers to join the Ladies Working Dog Group back in 2019, which seems ages ago now. Um, and then I did quite quickly the first, uh, one of the first masterclasses to come out on placeboards. Um, and then following that, did the first uh, live uh, training day that we ran. Um, before COVID shut us all down and made us online only. So that was kind of where I, I started. Um, and Jeremy, this morning, we're looking back on our on our chats as to when we actually started talking to try and find out what the date was because we'd forgotten. But yeah, it seems like a, a, a lifetime ago, really. Um, and then, yeah, since then, obviously, just helped support the Ladies Working Dog Group as it's grown and got bigger and done more masterclasses, podcasts, live training days, um, and then the game fairs as well. Our journey has probably been like the same length with like the LWDG as as it is today um for our listeners could you sort of highlight the the key differences between grouse and pheasant shoots because we want we started this whole idea for this podcast because you've just been out on your first grouse day haven't you yeah, so I've I've been on pheasant and partridge for probably nearly 10 years now. Um, but being predominantly based originally in the Midlands, we didn't really have the opportunity to to have the land to get onto grouse. So it wasn't something that I'd ever been really exposed to. Um, I'd done a couple of um, like pointing days and things like that and counts on, on grouse. So I'd been up there from that point of view, but never actually seen how a proper shoot day ran. So when we moved up to Cumbria and I've had the opportunity to to get on grouse, I was like chomping at the bit to get to get on it and see what it was like um and for me I was I was actually really nervous um I was very very nervous I'd I'd been given the opportunity to go um as a picker up which is quite a uh, prestigious job role to be to be given as your first as your first job to go into grouse so I was a little bit nervous I was taking a team of older dogs I mean the grouse keeper basically said fill your truck with as many dogs as you possibly can that you know will pick birds and I was like well actually I can't I can't even tell you whether they will pick birds because they've never picked grouse before um so for me it was one of those I think my dogs can do it so it was almost when I related back to actually what I tell all of my novice handlers that are going on their shoots for the first time that's how I felt again was that I had that confidence yes my dogs will probably do the job but I can't guarantee that because they've never been in this environment before ground terrain's different the scent is different the bird that they're being required to pick is different the whole setup of it the whole sweeping role and every part of their job role is going to be sort of the same but very slightly different as well so 
I yeah was was a bit was a bit nervous um but went went confidently um luckily I know the keepers and I knew some of the pickers up which did help massively as well um but yeah the the biggest difference for me the biggest differences for me were um were things that I was already aware of before I actually approached the day so I knew that the birds fly lower I knew that the ground terrain was different. I knew the scent was going to be different and I knew my dogs hadn't picked grouse before. It's not something you come across as, as a readily available cold game to, to train with because they're quite a prestigious bird themselves as well. And they're quite well protected. Um, and they often just, they go into the food chain um, and they're, they're given to the guns as a, as a token for the day. So they're not something that you can get hold of in large quantities, like you can pheasant and partridge and, and pigeons and things to, tr- to train on. So that for me was, was the biggest thing is will my bird, will my dogs pick these birds? So for people who are listening like, okay, so why are grouse so different from sort of pheasant or from partridge? Grouse is a is a wild bird, isn't it? It's not we don't um put them in place like we do with the pheasant or the partridge. The grouse already live in these areas. Yeah, so there are there are native game bird basically. So they live on the moorlands and the, the keepers that are there, it is purely managing habitat to promote their well-being and their survival, really. So they don't um they don't feed them, they don't rear them. Um and the way the shooting then works is almost flipped backwards for how pheasants works. So with grouse, do a pair count in March time, and then they'll do a brood count in um, in the summer. And from that count, they roughly know how many are going to be on their ground. So therefore, they work backwards and tell them how many days they're prepared to shoot with roughly what what bag sizes they want. Whereas pheasant, generally, the boss tells you, "I've sold this many days, and I want this many, but this many." Um, bag numbers on these days and then the pheasants are ordered based on those numbers um and then they're obviously reared and, and fed and things as well so it's a very it's a very different job role and, and then obviously the keepers still still work their their roles um as managing habitat and things like that as well as pheasant and on on grouse as well um but obviously we can feed pheasant and we can medicate them and and we can look after them a bit more um the grouse are very very self-sufficient and it's down to those keepers to do that good job to manage predator control and, and the moorland and, and things to make it as as habitable as possible and where they're wild they behave differently to a pheasant as well don't they yeah so pheasant are um kind of like herded to the right place um so they're put down in release pens fed away from the release pens and then they're pushed back to the release pens um on shoot days generally um that's a very broad spectrum of of kind of how it works whereas grouse are really territorial so it's actually quite difficult to fly them the right way as such because they're so territorial so they want to duck back in and go back to their territory okay so on your first day out working grouse um tell us about that like you know how did it differ you know, you've spoken a little bit about the fact you were nervous and, and we can totally understand and many of us can relate to that. But how did the day go for you? So it it did go well. Um, I, I did really enjoy it. Um, my dogs probably surpassed my expectations and just showed me kind of how versatile that a gun dog can actually be because I threw a very experienced pheasant and partridge team of dogs onto completely different ground Um 
and they all they all did pick grouse um which was my biggest like i had dreams the night before that they were just going to run straight over the top of dead birds and i'd be picking them by hand so that didn't happen um but from the from the dog's point of view when i so when you get when you get there it's it's a little bit busier for a start there's a bit more people and there's there's a lot more dogs than there are on pheasant and partridge shoots um because you need the dogs to be pushing these birds the right way and the teams of pickers up had between four and ten dogs with them each and we had five pickers up so it was there's a lot more dogs around um similar to the pheasant um you you jump in your trucks and you follow the guns and you park near them um and then you get walked out and placed by the head picker up to where to where you're going to be but they do it in it's almost like a beating line of pickers up that's probably the best way to describe it so you're all put out really far back way away from the guns because like sometimes i couldn't even see where the guns were um let alone see where the birds were falling and it's because the grouse fly so low that the guns are shooting almost at like floor level really because they go down into what's called butts um so they go down sort of almost into the ground as such and then they shoot at kind of eye level really um which is at ground level for you so we go really really far back and then you have to sit down which for my dogs thank god I've practiced that like bending down and sitting down because initially when I um I actually put them I put them all on lead initially like I I know they're steady but I didn't know really what was going to be expected from them um and I knew they weren't picking any runners during the drive so there was really no point in them practicing steadiness at that point they might as well chill out and sit on lead so I popped my stick in the ground looped the leads over and then sat down and they all looked at me very confused um they were like where are we marking what are we what are we actually looking at um and then when they started to hear the guns go off because they were so far away and they couldn't see any birds and it echoed around the terrain because it's so different they all didn't know where to look so I've got videos of them and four of them are facing one way and then one of them's facing another way and they were almost like right we'll cover all bases because we don't actually know where we're actually meant to be looking and marking which again is totally different from the pheasant We're we're much closer on pheasant and they can physically see birds falling so that I can send them for runners during the drive um so from that point of view but I was pleasantly surprised how chilled they became like even with the shot going off and live birds flying flying over their head that hadn't been shot they all just lay down and chilled out because I was sat down and we weren't really doing anything. And then you have a horn that goes as the beaters get too close. Um, so what happens is all the beaters come in and they get to, they get to a, a horn stop, a horn post basically. And a horn blows, which basically means that if the beaters go any further, they're in shooting range of the guns shooting at them. So then what happens is the guns turn around and they face the pickers up and they start shooting backwards while the beaters all come in straight to the to the butt line basically um and then another horn goes and that then means that we can start picking up so at that point then um all the pickers up stand up take all their dogs off lead and we literally just sweep in a beating line covering all of the ground all the way to the butt line and out the other side so yeah that's that's where it's a bit different and that's very different, isn't it? Like you just said, even some of the things you've just mentioned there. And we're going to put the videos from Emma's day uh, on the blog post that goes with this podcast. Um, for a dog, it must be like, why aren't you anywhere that I can actually see or do anything helpful? They were very, initially, the first drive, the video of the first drive with them all sitting, they can hear the shot and their heads are just moving like left, right, up, down. They, they had absolutely no idea where this shot was coming from or where to mark. Um, 
And it was only until they'd swept the first drive, I think they really got it and understood. They all luckily did pick a bird on their first sweep as well, which was quite nice. So they all then knew by that point. I, I for one, had the confidence that, right, you've all picked a bird, you know what you're actually looking for now. Um, but they actually did they could almost put two and two together and go, oh, okay, cool. We're here. We're doing this. This is, this is the job role expected of us. And it kind of clicked back in and they went back into sort of pheasant and partridge mode. So that's all amazingly interesting. And people listening and probably question, oh, would I go on grouse? Would my dog pick up loads and loads of questions I've got going around in my head and I'm sure lots of our um, listeners have got as well. So uh, what are the, some sort of essential training techniques or advice you'd recommend to listeners preparing their dogs for grouse or for pheasant? The sweeping element of it is really, really important. Um, everybody trains for straight line retrieves. So from, from that point of view, by the time you actually get to a picking up job role, the straight line thing shouldn't be maybe something that you would be necessarily worried about. But the sweeping, until they know and have picked during hunting, that can be really, really challenging for the dogs. And that was something that I was even worried about with seasoned pros on pheasant that they wouldn't get it on different terrain um because they've not been on on moorland as much um so that for me the sweeping element of it is is really important that your dog understands the minute you cast them off what they're actually doing um they're not just running around like a hooligan they are actually physically searching an area and scanning it methodically to actually look for something to pick up and bring back to you you can set those exercises up with dummies um but it's it, those key bits stop all of like what I would class as like bad etiquette behaviors coming out. So it it makes sure if you've practiced these sorts of exercises, they don't swap. They pick and come straight back to you. They free hunt, but it's controllable free hunt within an area. Um, they recall off without finding something. So every now and again, just recall them off when they're mid hunting before they find something and bring them back into you because some dogs can get so retrieve driven that they think, right, I have to have a retrieve to be able to return to you. And obviously then when you're looking at grouse and pheasant and you're starting to to sweep, you can't guarantee they're always going to get a bird in their mouth to actually come back into you. And you're in charge or, or the shoot's in charge of when you need to stop hunting and go to the next drive. So those sorts of things are probably from that point of view, really important to think about. Um, and then it's knowing the shoot etiquette. Like I know some grouse might want you to have runners during the drive. Ours didn't. Um, they don't like seeing dogs dogs out during shooting. Um, and obviously with the grouse shooting so low, it's potentially dangerous for dogs to be out. Like if I sent a dog for a runner and then suddenly that horn blew because I can't see where the um where the beaters are coming from i've then got a dog out within shooting range of these guns that have just spun round chasing a live bird that i've then got to try and get back so from that point of view it, it's it you've got to have that control of that dog as well so pheasant yes you can get away with runners they're shooting so high up generally most shoots will want runners picked straight away um, the grouse, because they duck in and they they stick in the heather, even when wounded, you can kind of wait and, and pick them afterwards. Um, but yeah, it's it's those sorts of things that just being aware of of the etiquette side of things as well and the safety of, of working your dogs on the ground, as well as actually the training that goes into it as well. That's so like fascinating. And, and as you explained a little bit more, I can envisage more the, the what you meant about them sort of spinning around from facing one way to facing another, you know, and that's very fluid very fast paced environment did you think on the day that you sort of not handle it well because you're a gun dog trainer I'm sure you handled it beautifully but was you shocked at, at the difference in pace etc 
yeah the the pace of um yes and no so it it was it was more waiting before the shooting started um so the the actual sitting down before any shots actually went off that time frame is actually much longer than it is on pheasant um because the beaters just come in from so much further away before they actually start pushing grouse over the guns it's just a really long time so we were sat I was sat on the floor with the dogs for for sometimes a good sort of half hour before any actual shots went off and then we'd shoot for maybe 15-20 minutes and then they'd obviously the horn would go they'd spin around they'd carry on shooting and then we'd get to sweep so it was quite a long time frame from from nothing no noise no shooting no birds nothing before the dogs actually sort of like sat back up and started marking shot a little bit um, at that point. So that time frame surprised me how long it was compared to pheasant. Um, normally I literally get to my post picking up as as a, a on a pheasant shoe and they're almost shooting immediately afterwards. Um, and sometimes I'm still walking to my place to go and stand and pick up and they've already started shooting. So it's actually much quicker on pheasant from that respect than it is on grouse, I think. I think there's much more waiting around on the grouse just because of the, the vast distance that they've got to cover so talking about like being out on the day you know we talk a lot about um women's role in in shooting in gun dog training in everything to do with what we do so gun dog training has often been like male dominated it's very very much changing you know even in the short amount of time i've been involved with it i've seen many more women out in the field do you think that the work we're doing within the LWDG is changing the narrative? Yeah, I think it is. I think LWDG in particular is giving women confidence to go out there and, and do it. It's it's giving a platform for, for people to train, to make friends, to get to know people. And then collectively, that then gives people, I think, the confidence to reach out to shoots and start going on shoots. But equally, those connections that they're making within the Ladies Working Dog Group are also meaning that they can they can find a friend before they go on a shoot day. That person already might be on a shoot. They might have had a slightly different background because we've got such a vast experience within the group as well. You have got people that have been in the shooting world for quite a long time now supporting more novice people that are just sort of um, breaking into it. Um, there was there were quite a few women on the grouse mall, which was really nice to see. Um, three out of the five pickers up were women, which was lovely. Um, so yeah, I think it is it is changing um, and it's being more inclusive and people are, I think, much more willing shoots now to actually welcome new people there, especially if they know somebody that is experienced as well and they can vouch for them and things like that. And I think that's where the Ladies Working Dog Group creates that, that platform. And of the three women you were with, were any others members? Um, I think one of them was actually. I think one of them was. Yeah, I think one of them was. It's definitely worth being part of the community for the friendships you make without a doubt. Even if you don't plan on going out on to a, an estate or working your dogs, just the friendships from training alone are incredibly special. Is there anything about your day out that makes it special for you or any sort of mem like memorable training bits of it or unexpected challenges on the day that you'd like to share? Hey, we'll go challenges first because these are big tips if you go on a grass mall that I was definitely not prepared for. So the weather is so changeable so quickly that you need to have pretty much a whole wardrobe from summer to winter in your car. Um, I was definitely not prepared for that. I was wet through from the first drive. Um, then mosquito or midgy nets. So 
all of them had like these net smocks that go over all of your clothes. Um, and I didn't have one and the midges literally attacked me like the whole day. It was, it was horrific. Um, and the jungle juice, like take jungle juice, take all of it, take everything that you could possibly think of to get rid of midges because that was something I wasn't factoring in would be such a problem. And it, yeah, it was pretty horrific to be fair. Um, and it was all over the dogs as well, bless them. So they were like scratching and itching and not concentrating sometimes and things like that. So that they were the, they were the biggest challenges is that I was not pheasant shoots. You literally, you're out for, I don't know, maybe half hour, 40 minutes, and then you go back to your vehicle straight away. Um, we were so far away from vehicles picking up and we'd sometimes do drives back to back. I definitely should have taken more out with me to be able to be more prepared for it. Um, and then, yeah, the jungle juice and the, and the midges were, were not a good experience whatsoever. So I now have it arrived from Amazon, a new, a new midgy smock um, that has a full face and everything like I'm not getting bitten again. That's not going to happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, you learn from the mistakes, which is one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast is because people might go that they might get invited to grass as a beater or maybe a flanker, even if you're lucky enough to get as a picker up and you're not expecting what you get if you've been on pheasant shoots, it's, it is different. And that's, that's one of the reasons I wanted to to come on and, and help. And those two tips definitely are the biggest ones that I can possibly give you. Don't be afraid to put them on the lead while you're waiting um, because you can be waiting for a long time and dogs can obviously get really agitated the longer you wait as well. So don't be afraid to use the lead, which again is totally different to what I'd say for pheasant shooting. Normally I'm like no leads. If your dog's up, if your dog has to be on a lead, it's not ready to be on the shoot day. Whereas this day you can walk completely with your dog on lead and still have a really enjoyable day. Whereas beating with a dog on lead is, is a potential nightmare and really frustrating. Um, so they're, they're big differences again. And then memorable. Um, so I took six dogs with me, three of them seasoned picking up dogs. Two of them had had their first season on pheasant last year. And I took one that had never been on a pheasant or a grouse shoot whatsoever. Um, obviously training and I, I, personally thought he was ready um so the three oldest dogs really impressed me and made me quite proud of their training to be honest because they just picked it up as if it was a pheasant shoot they just completely understood as soon as I let them off the lead and cast them off with that word to hunt they swept the ground and covered the ground like like I expected them to it was it was quite nice to watch the two that had been out on pheasant last year um were obviously still quite young so I took them out one at a time initially so the first driver only took one of them out and then the second driver took the the other one out then the third driver took the baby out with the other three that were already there so they did the whole day now the two were probably very unbelievably steady they support my my steadiness for, from their point from them was was what impressed me the, the most with them yes they did follow the older dogs around until they found a bird and then they kind of clicked and were like oh okay cool this is what we're doing um which I expect from young dogs anyway but the baby um who's called Dobby and I don't know some society members might remember that I rescued him January February time I rescued him so I haven't had him very long um and he's quite nervous and doesn't really hasn't really shown me much drive to wanting to really work um he'll pick a dummy and bring it back but he just wants to love me and he, he quite lo loves my son harry as well um but he literally took to it like a duck to water he followed rich my eldest dog um for the first drive and just wandered around watching him hunt saw him pick a bird um 
tried to take it off him, which Rich then growled at him. And that was that was that job done so that he'll never do that again. Um, and then just was like, oh, OK, cool. If I want mum's love, I pick birds. And he literally just started hunting on his own. And the the difference in him and his confidence has just has just been incredible. So he was probably the one him and Rich were the two probably that highlighted the most to me like impressed with my seasoned dog but really impressed with the young dog just taking to it so well so out of the the dogs that we've sort of chatted about there um describe one of your favorite working dogs in um just three words and and what makes them stand out I feel really guilty saying that I have favorites because of how many I have but um lots of you will know if you know me and obviously the people that don't know me Rich is a black Labrador he's seven now um he is probably by far my favorite he's taught me the most he is just so honest and easy to work. He's the dog that you go down and if somebody's got a difficult job role to do, you go and get him out of the kennel because he's just phenomenal. Um, and three words to describe him. One's probably phenomenal. Um, the other one is relentless. And the third word is probably biddable, I would probably say. But I mean, there's thousands more words to describe him because he's just incredible. But um yeah, those those words are probably the best ones to describe them. And they are a perfect three words for any working dog. They're probably the three things we want to see in them. With your wealth of experience, what's a common misconception or mistake you notice that our listeners make that you'd like to see them try to avoid? I think the biggest one for me is confidence. Um, and with that, it isn't necessarily about just being oh I'm really confident to do the job that's that's not what I mean but if you feel that your dog can't do it have the confidence to ask for help if you feel your dog can do it have the confidence to keep pushing and I think that's the biggest thing especially with maybe new members and more novice members is that you are gonna be stagnant in your training if you don't have the confidence to seek both those avenues um because sometimes we do need help I I had to go to the head picker up on on Monday and say my dogs have never been on grouse before give me give me everything that I need to know throw it all at me um because I don't know and I don't want to make a mistake out here so but it takes confidence to go she knows that I'm a dog trainer and she knows that I've been on on pheasant so to her to me if I was not confident that could look like a really stupid question and I could have made really silly mistakes um but have the confidence to go to somebody and ask them for help and have the confidence also to go actually no I've got this like I can do this my dog is trained and and well behaved and won't show me up and if it does make any mistakes I've got all the tools in my toolkit to be able to fix it quickly as we talk more about like how our listeners um, need to build maybe more confidence and looking at how they can develop their skills, as we look towards the future, where do you see the growth or evolution of the LWDG community going? How do we keep on helping them? I think um, obviously the fantastic stuff we do with the the dog and duck and um, so the ask us anything sessions, they are absolutely so valuable to, to all members. The podcasts as well give obviously the free members and our, and our actual members as well, the opportunity to get to know different things that we're doing and different trainers and all of that kind of stuff as well and, and get snippets of, of the knowledge that we can give. 
Um, I do think the the face-to-face training days that we're able to now run um, coming off of the back of COVID are so valuable because people can travel from all over. They can get their dogs out on different ground. They can meet different trainers. They can meet different community members. Um, so for me, the growth, I would say, is the, is the face-to-face stuff that people can hopefully take the time to, to travel to these 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 situations that we're setting up for people um and get just get involved and get to know everybody but equally get your dogs out on different ground under different trainers yeah i i see it being a big part too because we have such an incredible library of training for for dogs that is there 24 7 plus we add to it every other month so it's like just it's just constantly growing it's pretty much the answer to everything within that that's before you even go and look at our ask us anything coaching call recordings but i also think the face-to-face stuff like the the uh paddle and place course that you did last weekend they're just different innovative ways that we can find new things to do with our dogs aren't they yeah, I mean that one in particular. Um, so I've run a couple now for the for the ladies working dog group, and two of them were probably quite serious. They were to do with working tests um, in spaniels and retrievers. Then the place board only training day was really really good to build some confidence in in more novice members and give them that opportunity to train in quite a large group. Um, but the paddle and place day for me. I found personally, I found a massive love for paddleboarding since I've moved to the Lake District. It is it's it's so common and and popular up here, um, but I'd never done it before because obviously didn't live near lakes in the Midlands, um, so I'd not done it before. And the the peaceful connection that you can build with a dog while being on a paddleboard with you is just incredible. Like the experience and to then be able to share that with some members as well, where we did some quite structured training in the morning and then got them out on the lake with their dogs in the afternoon. Um, everybody was just peacefully happy and you could just feel the atmosphere of peaceful happiness. And all of the dogs just wanted to be with their owners. I mean, we had we had six dogs off lead on paddleboards in quite close proximity and not one of them wanted to go and see other people's dogs. They might want to go and have a bit of a swim in the water, um, but but they soon got back on the on their owners' boards again. And I sometimes think these gun dogs aren't just gun dogs anymore. Even mine, like yes, they live in kennels, and yes, they're worked um, on quite substantial days in for a lot of the season. But equally, they just want to cuddle as well, and to be able to then do that in probably like an outdoor environment for them was quite um was quite a unique experience so yeah it was quite um probably quite humbling actually is probably the best way to describe it to be able to give other members that opportunity to have the same experience the photos were fabulous and hopefully we'll run down when down the south soon I'm, I'm hoping that we can um, drag a lot of members to wales because we have lakes too and um it would be fab but i think you're right in the fact that what breed is used to train has all changed what um how we interact with them has changed. Like dogs are probably becoming more and more part of our family. They go on holidays with us. We look for for coffee shops and places to eat that are dog friendly. You know, they're not something that's just in the kennel or just at home anymore, are they? They are literally taken around with us, not as um not a, as a child, of course, but we take them as part of the family and look after them the same way. Yeah, and I think that's that's one of the hardest job roles for a dog to do. Like they're walking this tightrope between sole working dog and I want you to be 
solely on me and listen but then actually I also want you to listen to every other family member and be a really nice family pet as well and be social in lots of social environments that I'm going to take you to and that that link between the two can often conflict as well so it's one of the hardest things I think nowadays is trying to actually bring a gun dog up in the world that we're bringing gun dogs up in is actually quite um is much more challenging than it used to be their job roles are much more blurred than than they used to be it isn't like you say it isn't they're in a kennel and that's it they work for one handler um you could have sometimes kids want to get involved and handle them and you've got maybe one dog between two handlers um in the household and stuff like that so it is it is tough for them so and I think that's where I try and always say like like give yourself some slack and give yourself some credit like you're not doing a bad job you're doing a lot of jobs um and and that's what you're trying to do with your dog is you're trying to you're trying to create this this kind of all-rounder and not just within the shooting world we're not talking about oh yeah I want it to be a peg dog and a beating dog and a picking up dog we're going actually yeah I want it to do that and then I want it to be at a five-year-old's kids party and be fine and then actually I want to take it to to Scotland with me in a camper van for a week with five of us um so and then I want you to go back out and, and pick pheasants and only find me and bring them back to me so it, yeah, they are. It is tough. Um, and I think being able to then merge training with some more social stuff as well is actually really beneficial to be able to show these dogs that they can do both job roles and owners that the dogs can do both job roles as well. It's really interesting you say that because um, I've got a book that's being published and the first like chapter I talk about the, the fact that we expect our dogs to be athletes and companions you know there's like we have two completely clear ideas of what they should be one is very focused very driven very meticulous the other's like oh you know lay here cuddle me get in the you know get in the van and you are right it's, it's like a big collision of words because if we even look at, at athletes there's lots of things they don't do because they're an athlete there's lots of things they take out of what we would class as normal life so for a dog, we are asking them to do those things, but we don't control the things they take out, do we? We have to sort of give them all these different things and they have to work out how to be a different dog in different places. Yeah, and that's that's part of the problem as well, is that they sometimes get it wrong, as as we do as well. Um, and then I think we can be quite hard on ourselves that we've maybe bought the wrong dog or they're not we're not good enough for them and and all of those kind of things that I hear quite regularly and in actual fact you are good enough for them um and they are in the right home we just need to help teach them how we want them to behave in different situations in different scenarios and that just comes from experience and exposure from both you and and the dog I think as well if you are listening listeners and go back there is a podcast about this. In the show notes, I'll find the exact podcast. But I know we've done podcasts about this, this sort of topic as well. So that's absolutely uh, something worth listening to. So Emma, before we wrap up, do you have a piece of wisdom or message you would like to leave with our listeners? So the biggest bit I think of advice is I'm going to talk about like mindset and confidence again, because for me, that's where everything comes from there are so many tools and good trainers out there and good platforms like the ladies working dog group that you can get the actual information that you need but if you don't have the internal confidence to seek it out and then the confidence to keep pushing for it I think that's where then you don't you don't go any further basically so for me it would be 
realize that you're good enough to do it and then go and seek out the help and the tools to to help you get to where you want to be fantastic thank you so much as always for your time and thank you for telling us about your sort of day out on the grouse we want to see pictures of you now in your in your full net and um am i allowed to mention names because yeah i'm a private company i'm not the bbc um if apparently avon skin so soft matt swears by it because around here we have quite a lot of like hills woodland woods and skin so soft apparently the spray will keep midges off i don't know whether that's true or not but he absolutely swears by it so hopefully um, we can get some of that up to you as well and keep you safe. Um, thank you very much for, to our listeners for uh, being part of this conversation. And we look forward to speaking to you all next week. Thank you for listening to LWDG Pod Dog with Joanne Parrott, founder of the Ladies Working Dog Group. If you're interested in joining our supportive community and taking advantage of our group experts training and resources, please visit our website at www.thelwdg.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. And we look forward to helping you and your four-legged friend thrive. Until next time, keep training, keep learning, and keep working with your beloved gun dog.